Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. All right, welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how does it feel after almost a sweep by the Yankees, but then boom, ninth inning, seven-run comeback? Sir. Yeah, was it seven to two, I believe? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, they Talk got, us, walk they got us through this. In there. This was this was intense. Well, it was just one of those, you know, frustrating weekend. I mean, <laughs> it's always one of those like you got to beat those guys, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was like, oh, the bats are really quiet and nobody really seems to be doing anything. And then, you know, of course, the ninth starts and you're kind of like, oh gosh. Most people at that point weren't watching anymore. No, and it was one of those like I was kind of checking in and out. I had I had family in town, and yeah. you know, but it, it was just one of those like, why am I wasting my time with this kind of thing? <laughs> and then, you know, the big thing that opened it all up was Chaz McCormick hits hits a double and drives in two runs. And Chaz, you're my boy. I want to give you a chest bump someday. <laughs> I feel like he's got to be like the with a name like Chaz. I'm like you've got to be the ultimate bro. <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah. he can hit. It's unfortunate he can't play the infielder. I think he'd get more playing time. Right. But anyways, he kind of got it all going. And then, of course, Altuve with two runners on and I think one out. Yeah, one out. Three-run shot, walk off, finishes it, and they rip his jersey off. Yeah. Which uh, (laughs) (laughs) certainly, uh, if you know the whole story behind that, was thoroughly enjoyable. Okay, so Um, I don't. What's the story behind it? Okay, so go back, tinfoil hat, cheating conspiracy stuff. Yeah. Everybody says the ALCS in 2019 when the Yankee, when Altuve hit a walk-off home run to eliminate the Yankees. Game six, I was there. He was running the bases and everybody started to like pull on his jersey because before he hit a walk-off and he wouldn't let him pull off his jersey and everybody's like, oh, he has a buzzer under there and that's how he knew what pitch was coming and it's Uh, like, (laughs) no, it's called an Araldus Chapman hanging slider. But yeah, so it became this whole thing that like, oh, you know, they were cheating when they did that and he, (laughs) it was sort of what, you know, I'll tell you, he's like, I, you know, I had this bad tattoo and everything and whatever. Sure. So then this weekend, Aaron Judge hits a home run and kind of yanks on his jersey, like kind of smarting off. Yeah, yeah. So it was no greater justice that, of course, we got to see this hideous, I mean, a small tattoo, but (laughs) apparently Yankees Twitter had a hard time seeing it and said it must not actually be there. Uh, But it's there. I checked. Yeah. But anyway, so... What is it, a bat? It just looks like a name or something. I didn't get any details. It's just like (laughs) kind of up near the neckline. You'd Um, think with his kind of money, he'd get a real cool one to cover it up. Yeah, I mean, you never know how how people make these decisions. But (laughs) um, anyways, it was a pretty... If you're a baseball fan and hate the Yankees, your weekend finished well. No kidding. Because they would have been sweeped otherwise, right? Yeah. And then, you know, going to the all-star break and everything, it's like, man, what a pathetic. It does kind of boost the morale going into all-star weekend. So that that is pretty neat. And for those in Colorado, that's where it's going. Actually, it's going to be next week. And I'm not sure if exactly this will air right afterwards or somewhat around there. But it's a good time of baseball. And then it starts getting real serious pretty much after all-star weekend, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, you get near the trade deadline, so people are nailing down their rosters. Hopefully, we get a bullpen by then. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. So after that, it should be, 
yeah, you know, the, the dregs of summer get into like the real race for the playoffs. Yeah, no, it's cool. And, and, and again, for the audience, it's I always like to recap baseball with Matt. He, he's very dialed in, as you can tell, to baseball. And I love hearing his commentary because he tells the raw truth oftentimes, just like he does in drilling fluids, actually. So that's yeah. you're consistent. There we go. <laughs> well, so anyway, let's get back to drilling fluids, Matt. Hopefully everyone enjoyed the weekend. And here we are. We're going to talk a little bit more about amines. And we've we've sort of brushed over amines when talking about shale inhibition, perhaps some stuff on the corrosion side. And we, we, we have we've lightly touched on it in other episodes, but it was something that we kind of discussed maybe last week about, hey, maybe we should do an episode strictly on amines, dive into the details as to you know, maybe more from a chemistry standpoint, how it reacts, how it acts, and what exactly it's doing inside a drilling fluid and some other applications that even for myself, I've dealt with amines, but didn't know that it had other means of doing stuff on the fluids world. So without getting more details, Matt, let's go over. Can you explain what is an amine? So an amine, believe it or not, is a derivative of ammonia. So think, you know, NH3, but the hydrogen can be replaced by carbon chains or rings. And so this is, they're everywhere, right? That's one of the tricky things is like, oh, let's talk about amines. Well, we actually use them in a gazillion different things. And so we're probably just going to scratch the surface. But the idea is that they go into a lot of things we use and you hear that word dropped all the time. And certainly, you know, I think at least for us, that ammonia part, whenever you're handling a product that's amine-based, normally you can smell that. It's normally got a nasty smell to it. And you're yeah. like, I don't know what it is, but it's got an amine. <laughs> right. No, that's so true. And and so for, for myself, again, a lot of it comes back to, it's a liquid product. Typically, you'll see it in pails, or at least I have. We drilled with it in Canada for upper hole sections. But again, there, there's certainly some more aspects to it. And before we get into the application side, Matt, can you discuss, because there's, you know, there's primary, secondary, tertiary, we can talk about the R group mm. and some other notes that have, that, that you have written down here, which I'm not familiar with. So let's start off here. What, what is R or the carbon group? So it is basically whenever one of those hydrogens gets replaced. So think of, you've got this nitrogen, it's got these, you know, and then you've got these hydrogen groups branched out. So NH3, each one's like one arm sticking off of the nitrogen. Okay. Okay. And then an R group is just one of those replaced hydrogens is replaced by something else, okay. right? And it's a carbon group. So basically when people talk about these things as primary, secondary, tertiary, you've got three arms. How many of them have an R group or are they a hydrogen? So primary means you got two hydrogens, you got one R group. Mm. Secondary, guess what? Two R groups, one hydrogen. Tertiary, I'll let you guess this one. Uh, um, let me guess there's going to be three R groups. Excellent work. Oh, see, I passed elementary school chemistry, so well, I can count and I can spell. And, you know, <laughs> to qualify this, you know, the person who really should be on this podcast, Andrew Hewitt, has refused to come on. He came uh, on once, he, right? No, well, I know, but, but I'm not for about, this. Yeah. So I, I was grilling him in the hallway earlier just to make sure I had all my facts straight. And it was like, man, why don't you just get behind the microphone? And he was like, kind of, you know. So it's okay though, Andrew, you've, you're a big supporter of the show. We appreciate that. Yeah. But your voice is valued too. So it is. And um, for the listeners, as I have to say, it was, I was quite impressed because, you know, for someone like myself after college, for me anyway, I retained maybe about 10% of it and the rest is learned on the fly. But Andrew, who Matt, I believe hired, that was an excellent hire. And that was a, that was a Chris Campbell hire. It was he started fr- straight out of college. That's right. No, yeah. he, and, but he's been, he's been a great value add. 
And he obviously knows his chemistry because Matt, like Andrew and I were talking, just whatever business, and all of a sudden Matt comes across the corner and starts firing a bunch of chemistry aiming questions at him. And he was knocking them out like like he just studied for a test. So I got to say, Andrew, great job, buddy. Very great at helping us identify products and product alternatives. Yes. So absolutely. Um, yes. But all of his knowledge will remain with him as he is not behind a microphone today. <laughs> you know, one of the important things to keep in mind with amines is when we talk about being able to, you know, swap out these hydrogens. Basically, if this thing can take on an, an H plus ion, if you will, you can neutralize acids. You can make salts. So you hear of like an, you know, an, amo- an amine salt. Oh yeah, where the hydrogen is swapped out with like a metal or you know ammonium ion, and you know, there's a number of different applications. Like I said, we we use these all the time. And so I thought maybe we could kind of run through a few of those. Yeah, no, I think that'd be good. And that, that may be something to help bring it home for the listeners out there who are kind of more interested on, okay, what does that mean for me? So initially, Matt, and, and so talking about surfactants, right? Mm-hmm. Would that be the first major topic? I think, you know, surfactants sort of tie into a number of things. Okay. Maybe we kick off with shale inhibitors because that's probably the most common one. Okay. So my lack of understanding of this is clearly showing. So let's start off with amine shale inhibitors. So you've probably heard this, right? Some of our most powerful shale inhibitors are actually amines, right? Right. And so what happens is you've, you've heard of, you know, cation exchange, right? Where calcium can swap out and actually be a great shale inhibitor because it sort of draws the clay platelets together. Well, an amine can also do that cation exchange and really limit water invasion. So it can fit in between those clay platelets and really tighten things up. And so you could have as simple as like a monomeric one. You could have what's called an oligomeric, Mm. where it's like a couple of repeating steps of an amine group. Okay. And then quaternary, quat, four R groups. So there's just, and you know, you even hear polyamine. So there's a bunch of active amine sites so these are bigger, and the idea is that, you know, if they get larger, the if there's more available amines, more charge sites to get between those clay platelets, you might have a more powerful inhibitor. Okay. Although there's a molecular issue there, too, where they can get too big and don't really, like, conform as well. I see. But they can be very, very powerful. It's normally, you know, these things are so flexible. You just make so many things with these that there are certain things you can do to make them more environmentally compatible and so on. And so some of these families are really good shale inhibitors, but really toxic. I see. You know, so it really depends on the application, I guess. Exactly. And some of that's kind of a holy grail thing too, right? Okay. Yeah. So just for the run of the mill amine shale inhibitor that you'd maybe get off the shelf to add it to a drilling fluid, is there one that kind of fits a category more or, or is it again, really just dependent on the type of drilling fluid, the environment, the application, all I, that? I would say most of the sweet spot is going to be quaternary amines or, or polyamines, if if I'm remembering correctly. Okay. Just from a what you see and and availability and not gotcha. too nasty. Right. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, that's something you could obviously check in in the paperwork if you're curious. If you got amine on a rig, you could always check the MSDS or the SDS or yeah, you know, just just to satisfy curiosity, perhaps. Yeah. So moving on to other applications, again, one that I was not familiar with was amine corrosion inhibitors. So we've all used corrosion inhibitors, but a lot of times mm-hmm. we don't dive into the details as to what it is. It's, okay, let, what's the concentration and what are the other measurements to make sure we've got enough in there? But again, amines are, are a key element inside of corrosion inhibitors, Matt. So why don't you go ahead and explain that? 
So basically, you can you can form these into surfactants, as you mentioned earlier, that have a strong affinity for steel. And when we've talked about corrosion, you think about that conductive path. If I'm actually able to create a film that coats the metal so water can't come into contact with it, so it's mm. it's oil wet, those surfactants, they're everywhere. They're ubiquitous throughout the industry, and they do a pretty good job. I would add, though, that they're predominantly what we what I call filmers, mm. which means you know, you're more likely to use them in a packer fluid where the fluid's going to remain static, and you can maintain that film. Boy, you're circulating. You're probably not going to have coverage, right? Because you're going to keep washing it off. Right. Okay. But yeah, corrosion corrosion chemistry is very much driven by a variety of amines. Of course, of course. So what about a scavenger, like a gas scavenger? Are yeah, amines apply there? Definitely. So, you know, CO2 is commonly scavenged by monoethanolamine and then hydrogen sulfide. So triazine. And what triazine is doing is you're actually taking away, you know, we mentioned about that H, H plus. So think H2S, we pull away the H and now I've just got HS minus. Mm. And then this amine has tied up that other hydrogen. So now I've scavenged the hydrogen sulfide. Guess what? We're much, much safer than obviously trying to do that through pH or what have you. Yes. So those are used not only kind of in the drilling fluid realm for CO2 or H2S, but if you think about these big gas processing plants, right? they use this stuff you know, by the boatload. Makes sense. Okay. Well, then moving on, you know, again, back to the drilling side of things, even in oil-based muds, there's amines that exist within our products. Mm -hmm. And one that, you know, in one that, again, sometimes you need it or sometimes you have it and sometimes you don't, but in organophilic clays, there's amines present in those, is there not? Yes. So this is another one where we're trying to, you know, we've talked about organoclays and how we're trying to make them compatible with oil and, and the primary mechanism so that they'll actually swell or, or yield in oil is through a quaternary amine, predominantly quaternary amines. And what you're doing is you're actually doing a, a cation exchange within that clay. So let's say I have, you know, a bentonite, I swap out that sodium for this amine mm. and that's how it basically lets the oil in. So organoclays, and even you can treat, you know, lignite with an amine to make it compatible with oil-based mud, but that's a fairly common process. And just once again, there's so many, we could go much, much deeper into even components of other additives. I mean, amines are everywhere. Yeah. I no, it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, and I guess I'm just thinking out loud, you know, I guess most people associate them with shale inhibition, maybe one. Mm -hmm. Two would probably be organoclays, and then three might be corrosion. Right. Yeah. And then I don't know if you're thinking about it. I guess maybe fourth would be scavenging gases. But those are just a few examples. I'm only scratching the surface. Sure. And I didn't want to get too buried in the chemistry because it's besides the fact that I would wouldn't do it justice without Andrew here. <laughs> just giving some people some idea like. You hear this word dropped all the time and yeah, they're everywhere. Right. Well, and again, I, I think it just kind of opens up the curiosity for people to now that you know other applications, you can do a quick Google search, I mean, corrosion inhibition or, you know, treated lignite or, you know, other avenues. So again, it's it's something that if you are interested and you're a bit of a chemistry buff, you can certainly dive down some serious rabbit holes and, and realize that we use this stuff all the time. So that was really the purpose of this one, Matt. Any other thoughts or comments? I would say just when you're working with amines, there's sort of like known 
known things to keep in mind, right? So it's an ammonia compound, so it's possible you could release ammonia, mm-hmm. which when you talk about shale inhibitors is something drilling cement with an amine shale inhibitor, really high pH, mm-hmm. that's something that can happen. And there can be some temperature limits to them. Generally not in our unconventional realm are they much of an issue for us, but it's just worth keeping in mind that, you know, amine chemistry is consistent in some ways, but it's also, you know, very flexible. There's a lot out there. But yeah, if you're looking at temperature scenarios or or things like that, you might need to double check that everything's good to go. Right. Perfect. Those are great closing last words. And with that said, everybody, again, if you have any comments, questions, or if you want to bug Matt about some baseball statistics, he's more than welcome to chat with you about that. And if you could support the show, please review, subscribe, share it with anyone that you think might find it interesting. And we will talk to you next time. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.